Welcome everyone to the next Catapult podcast and we have our reoccurring guest Drak. Do you want to introduce yourself again? Hello, well, yep, it's me, Drakinafel, um of the YouTube Naval History Channel of the same name. Um so we're here to see what uh, what is has crept in as a new line <laughs> and how how what kind of tangential relationship to historical events these it actually has. Yes, this, um, this is one of the more uh, interesting lines in terms of actual historiosity. Mm. <laughs> um, we've also got a couple of other ships to discuss besides that, but yep. uh, I think we'll start off with the Japanese because that's what you've prepared for the most. Yes. Yeah, and that, that, was, uh, that was fun because, um, as we were just saying before we started uh, started streaming, if you're going to talk about anything to do with hypothetical Japanese cruisers, you basically end up having to go to Japanese cruisers of the Pacific War, which is a relatively hard to find book. But when you find it, you sometimes wish you hadn't because the blasted thing is the uh, it's literally the size and thickness of a phone book. It, <laughs> it has all the information, well, most of the information you could possibly ever want, but it does mean you're literally lugging around half of a dead tree. Yeah. <laughs> it is actually, at least honest, in English. I'm, I'm kind of surprised, given how much Japan sort of uh, trashed their own records at the end of the war. I'm kind of surprised mm. there's even that much sort of information remaining. But I suppose a lot of smart people have done a lot of detective work over the years. Yes. Yeah. I mean, some stuff survived, some stuff was known, um, obviously, because it covers. Um, Japanese, including the like pre-war stuff. So some mm -hmm. stuff was already known pre-war, um, and a lot of it was reconstructed from either examination of what was left um, and technical documents, etc. So it shows how much you can piece together, mm -hmm. um, but also you know how much was lost <laughs> because there are sections, even in this book, where where they're just sort of like, well, this is as much as we know, or it could have been this, or possibly this. But final determination is un unknown and probably forever will be. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess we'll jump right in then. So starting yeah. at tier five, we have Agano, uh, mm -hmm. which notably we already have in the game in the form of the uh, premium tier five Yahagi. Yes. Yeah. So this is uh, an interesting one, actually, in the... By the time we get even to Tier 5 in the cruiser line, the Japanese have essentially abandoned the idea of the light cruiser the way that everyone else would see it. So you've got, well, what's the Crown Colonies, what's in um, game as the Fijis, and you've got the Clevelands, obviously. Um, and in both of those cases, you have Britain and America continuing down the light cruiser development line uh, the japanese divide their cruisers slightly differently they don't call them heavy and light they call them class a class b and class c a class a is what we would call a heavy cruiser um, class b is what we would call a light cruiser um, or more accurately in japanese terms a cruiser armed with six inch guns um, and then class c is kind of specialist cruisers that start to depart from uh, a primarily gun and torpedo based armament and so okay. the so the Megamis, for example, in their triple six inch form are class B, but then once they receive their twin eights, they are now class A cruisers. So Agano is classified as a class B cruiser, 
because she and her sisters are armed with six-inch guns. They're armed with, uh, sorry, they're equipped uh, as their primary offensive armament is guns and torpedoes. Although this is why I say they've kind of abandoned the traditional idea of the light cruiser in that these ships are, with the Megamis, is basically the last time you see a traditional Class B cruiser design. This this design is obviously a lot smaller. It's designed as a destroyer flotilla leader. It's not okay. designed to act as an independent cruiser the way that, as I said earlier, the town's crown colonies or Cleveland's would be. So when they have a special cruiser class, like Class C, would they put something like a um, dedicated anti-air cruiser in there? Did they actually have dedicated anti-air cruisers? They had a few designs for anti-aircraft cruisers, which were classified as Class C. Um, but those were part of the Circle 5 and Circle 6 fleet replenishment programs that never really got off the ground because of the war. Um, and Ayodo, which is notable in this tree by its absence, um, was also a Class C cruiser, because although it did have six-inch guns, it obviously only had the six-inch guns forward and aft was designed with aircraft handling facilities because it was designed as a submarine squadron flagship. Uh, and this is notable because of the Agano and Ayodo are the two last six-inch classes the Japanese actually build, and they're both designed as flagships for squadrons of other vessel types. So was there a reason why they abandoned like the, the idea of building light cruisers? Um, basically, it all revolved around their concept of how they were going to use their fleet. So uh, the whole idea that had built up pre-war of the Japanese fleet was this idea of massive torpedo attacks on an enemy battle line at night. And in order to do that, that's why you see the Japanese destroyers have increasingly heavy torpedo armament and torpedo reloads, the ultimate expression of that being the Shimakaze. But they realized that if you're going to try and break a fleet screen at night to get in and sink what they think is going to be the battleships that enemy fleet screen most likely American is going to include cruisers as well and the Japanese view the best way of sinking cruisers as to use the 8 inch gun because it does more damage per, per hit and if you're going to be fighting at night with their night fighting techniques they're anticipating surprise attacks so they want to deliver the maximum possible alpha strike with their guns rather than, you know, a hail of six-inch fire, which may or may not put a ship down, and if it does, it might take a bit longer, and therefore give that ship a chance to signal or get shots in reply or whatever. Um, plus, they also have a slightly more tangential view that eight-inch guns might, at closer ranges, be sufficient to do some damage to enemy capital ships, whereas they don't think the six-inches will at all. Um Ironically enough, they're kind of proven right, except they're proven right by the Americans in the night actions off Guadalcanal with Hiei and Kirishima, um, particularly Hiei, obviously, in, in the first night action. Um, but that mean, this is why they want the 8-inch cruisers, and Megami um, is designed to be swapped over to these 8-inch because they, under the treaty limits, um, obviously, they've, by the time you get to the 1930s, not only has the treaty split... Um, cruisers between 8-inch and 6-inch cruisers, but there's also got a hard cap on the number of 8-inch cruisers. So if the Japanese had their way, they wouldn't have built the Megamis with triple sixes in the first place. They would have just kept building more 8-inch ships. But 
they had to at least appear to be abiding by the treaties. So having reached their limit of eight inch, they were now going and saying, oh, well, no, these are these are our six inch ships, honestly, quietly building a bunch of twin eights to, to stick on them. It is, I mean, it is interesting to note that there's quite a gap in terms of light cruiser building as well, because um, they were going in, I mean, even up and even in the Second World War, they were using a bunch of like basically twenties light cruisers, and then there's sort of a bit, quite a big gap. And then I think in the late thirties, the Aganos mm-hmm. get designed, and then not yeah. they don't actually enter the water until uh, I think like nineteen forty one. Yeah, and it, it's, it's it's also recognition of Japan's limited technological resources. They don't have as many shipyards, they don't have as many slipways, they don't have as much industrial capacity as the enemies they're going they think they're going to be fighting. At which point, if you can only physically build so many cruisers, it makes more sense to have those cruisers as powerful as you can possibly make them, rather than have fractionally more, but considerably less powerful cruisers. Because the idea is if you have an 8-inch cruiser, if it stumbles across an American 8-inch cruiser, then it's got the advantage of surprise, they think, with their night fighting technology, so it should win. If you stumble across an American six-inch cruiser, fantastic, even more chance of winning because, uh, you know, it can hurt you somewhat less. Whereas if you flip that around and you have six-inch cruisers going in, if they meet an American six-inch cruiser, okay, with surprise, they should still win. But if they meet an American eight-inch cruiser, they're worried they might not actually have enough time to put down an eight-inch cruiser, which at least in theory should possess some form of greater levels of protection uh, against similar-sized guns. And they're also aware that because they're packing so much firepower in terms of guns, torpedoes, and um, speed for their for in terms of large machinery spaces, they are aware that you know if you have a, a light cruiser, as we would call it, or uh, for them a, a, t- a Type B, if an eight-inch cruiser gets off one decent salvo, that could be somewhat problematic for their continued survival. So, yeah, they they, they have kind of given up the idea of the six-inch fleet cruiser. Uh, and Agano, as we said, Agano and Yodo come about basically because they've decided that they doctrinally they want flagships, which is interesting because it's a revival of a it's an old, revival of an old concept that actually sees service in a number of different navies. Because the the original idea of scout cruisers, you actually have pre World War One with the pre World War One Arethusa class in the British Navy. You then have that with the Omaha's in immediate post. World War One with the U.S. Navy and the Atlantas in the 1930s are also designed along this concept. Although the British, although they've kind of originated the idea amongst the great powers, they don't actually bring that idea back. They think about it a few times, uh, but they don't actually get around to building a light cruiser as a flotilla leader. They do build flotilla leader destroyers. They build some fairly largest destroyers the tribals and so forth um and they build the didos but obviously the didos are not destroyer flotilla leaders although ironically they end up being used as such um uh, in a few cases and they also build the world war ii period arith users but again those ships are not designed to be flotilla leaders they're designed to be the minimum spec commerce protection cruisers but the japanese have kind of taken the ball a little bit late uh and to be fair they've already got some of their older you know immediate post-world war one like cruisers assigned as destroyer flotilla leaders already so it's 
it's not that they are lacking continuity in this train of thought. They've kind of picked up on it around the same time as the US did with the Omaha's. But up until now, they've had enough light cruisers, uh, older ones, to lead the various flotillas of destroyers. Now they're getting to a point where they're, they're building more and more destroyer flotillas and they don't have the light cruisers to lead them, hence the Aganos. And the Oyodos are... They're designed around this Japanese idea of the, the, the tripwire submarine line. Um, so in, in some ways, it's kind of similar to German Wolfpack tactics, um, at least in very, very vague principles. Um, but the Japanese idea of sub-operations was to have this line of submarines spread across the possible line of advance of the enemy. And then you'd have an Ayodo kind of backstopping them. And with its gun armament, that should be enough to see off you know, the occasional roving destroyer or small cruiser that might come forward of the enemy fleet. But those aircraft on the back and the command uh, structure and the radio systems were designed so that the Ayodo could do the scouting, find where the enemy's coming from, and then radio that out to its submarine squadron and say, right, the enemy's over here. So, you know, kind of you guys over there need to move a bit to the left. You there need just a fraction to the right and concentrate the subs. Um, so it's basically taking the role in a more formal manner that things like the Focke-Wulf FW-200 Condor would do for the Kriegsmarine in uh, the Battle of the Atlantic. doesn't actually ever end up getting used in that role, really, but that, that was the idea, at least. It's interesting that different navies came at this from, from different directions as well, because sort of France and Italy went more towards we're going to build big destroyers rather than build small cruisers to fill yeah. that role. Yeah, the um, the Italians do end up building some small cruisers, the the early the early classes of condottieri, mm-hmm. but even then they are they are designed not as destroyer flotilla leaders, but as destroyer killers. Because as you said, the French are building these big contratorpilliers. So the the Italians are kind of looking at it going, well, the French are pushing the definition of destroyer towards the light cruiser. So we're going to build a light cruiser that is so small, it kind of pushes towards the large destroyer, but is therefore still slightly superior mm-hmm. um, with the idea of knocking off the contratorpilliers. But it turns out that actually that kind of, design role is pretty awkward and you see the rest of the condottieri gradually start building up in size until the last of them are basically more convent much more conventional light cruisers well stats wise i don't think it's going to be anything too wildly different from yahagi uh, no i mean these are always initial stats of course um but yeah uh same gun caliber, almost the same range. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit slower. Um, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see if the ballistics are as floaty as, as the mm-hmm. uh, the Yahagi. But uh, yeah, I mean, Yahagi is um, an okay cruiser at tier five. It doesn't have the most fans. It's only got six barrels. Yeah. And uh, very limited torpedo arcs. But uh, it's also got a, a nice array of consumables. So I guess we'll see if. Uh, we'll see how Agano compares. I mean, Agano it doesn't look like it's going to get the speed boost. No, it's still going to get a fighter. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a decent enough. As you say it's a decent enough design on the if someone on the smaller side to have a tier five. So, yeah, I I don't I don't see it being you know one of the game bre- game breakers at tier five, but it'll be 
It's, a, it's certainly not going to be um, the floating XP pinata that, say, something like Emerald is. Yes. Which I mean, theoret- theoretically it, significantly outguns it, but in fact is more of just a floating pile of cordite. Yeah. Um, at least, I mean, it's not going to have the quite the same um, oomph as, as with the uh, the engine boost, but 35 knots is still it's still very good for a Tier 5 light cruiser. And with the Sierra Mike flag, I think you can get that to nearly 37. Just checking yeah. my Yahagi now. Yes, yeah, 36.8 knots. So uh, it's it's going to be a speedy little cruiser at tier five. I think the <laughs> only thing that's in the same that that's the same or faster is the Emil Bartin, which is like bonkers fast. Yeah, I can still run it down with my uh, repulse. <laughs> <laughs> True, <laughs> and of course it can stealth torp. Yes, true. It's got topical of torpedoes. I mean, if it still has the same awkward range, uh, I, I guess we'll see how viable that is, but uh, that, that is, I think, probably the best range of any cruiser at that tier. It's even better than uh, destroyers. Yeah, for attack has got 10. Uh, I think Marblehead's got 9.2. Um, trying to think what else has torps. So all of them are kind of 4 to 6 kilometers. I think Montecucli, I think that's 9 kilometers. Uh, so that's 10 kilometers, got? but they're very slow. Question, I think Emerald, maybe eight. Emeralds, I think Emerald is eight. Hmm. I remember that got buffed at some point in the past. Yeah, Emerald, Exeter, Hawkins. Hawkins is seven kilometers. So, yeah, it is, it's going to have, you know, that's probably going to be the standout feature is it's going to have those 12 kilometer torps. Hmm. Same as Yahagi. And uh, being Japanese torpedoes, they do a pretty decent whack of damage, 17k. Yeah. Well, they're, they're big old things, so... Yeah, yeah they're, they're the 6.10mm ones. Most everyone else is using 5.33s. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, looking at the stats, the Diagano has, like, uh, almost 21k damage at tier 5. With 12km torps, that's... I mean, those, those torps are decent. More than decent. Like the destroyers would would kill to get those torps. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that would uh, that would be unpleasant if you had a destroyer that had that torpedo armament at that tier. We will see. So, um, as as you mentioned, there is there is one single uh, the Oyodo class that came out after that. Um, there was one single ex- example that we don't have in game that I don't know mm. we might see as a premium at some point, but yeah. That has kind of a unusual turret setup. Yeah, Yoda's just two triples forward. Um, which... so it may well be saving that for a premium. Just to, I, I can see why they didn't put it in the line because it, it's it's uh, unusual for a cruiser. Yeah, it's going to be an. I, I have a feeling that it could go one of two ways, um, depending on the sort of the, you know the stop start nature of submarine development. Mm. Because although Yodo is designed as a submarine flotilla leader within the game, with a a reasonable range of aircraft for its size slapped on its back, um, if submarines proliferated extensively in, in game, then Yodo as a premium submarine hunter, maybe with a lot of um, either a lot or very fast recharging depth charge flights, because of its 
its aft-mounted aircraft might That's be idea. something. Yeah. Um, or alternatively, it might just become, um, you know, mini Tone. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Tone is, uh, but yeah. Which would be hilariously unrealistic, but then again, you know, Tone launching torpedo bomber squadrons is already more exactly (laughs) in keeping with its historical use, so. I can't see Wargaming making a submarine hunter. They they like the submarines too much. (laughs) Yeah, although on the other hand... um, you know, if you make a specialist submarine hunter that's only available for doubloons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very, uh, very, potentially uh, very profitable. <laughs> create, create the problem, sell the solution. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. So, uh, yeah, then we are on to uh, the tier six, the Gokase. Yes. So this is not a historical ship in terms of it was not constructed. But it is also kind of, um, at least on the the main line, it is uh, the last point at which we are engaged with a design that was actually mostly, if not fully, realised on paper. So this is an interpretation of Design C-44, the improved Agano class. And that basically came about because they had the Aganos and then they were relatively happy with those. And initially... They were going to just build a few more, but then because they'd come up with Shimakaze and Shimakaze was quite quick and they wanted to build a, several flotillas of Shimakazes, they realized that at, you can't have a destroyer flotilla leader that is slower than the destroyers it's leading. So they said, right, we need a, we want basically a faster version of Agano so that it can keep up with the Shimakazes. Which also, for the most part, obviously weren't weren't didn't end up being constructed, and so it was stretched. More machinery was stuck in, and at that point, because the displacement has gone up, uh, the overall of therefore the overall size has gone up, um, and it's getting a lot lot faster. It's like, well, effectively, we've got this spare space. We might as well stick another twin twin turret in. So it's it's longer, faster Agano with eight twin twin mountings and a bunch of torpedo launchers amidships under the aircraft platform. But still basically the same design role as the Aganos, just somewhat faster. Yeah, it, it does jump up to 37.5 knots base speed, so that is um, that's quite nippy. Yeah, yeah it's, got to, it's got to keep up with, um, with the destroyers, and of course, because it's a destroyer flotilla leader, much as like Agano, I think this is where they're taking the idea of giving these things a powerful torpedo armament from, because the Japanese, well, they gave tor- big, fairly big torpedo armaments to all of their cruisers, but especially with these, the Agano and the improved Agano, they're thinking these, sh- whereas the other cruisers, the other newer cruisers are going to be operating with the destroyers, as in, in the same kind of attack wave, these ships in particular are going to be specifically part of the destroyer flotillas. They're going to be part of that initial attack wave, so they need to be able to contribute to the action as much as what what is uh, sort of coming with them, hence the fairly extensive long-lance batteries. Yeah, I think that will make it the fastest. There's nothing quite as fast as the Emil Bartan at uh, Tier 6, but there's a Decent number of, of cruisers that have sort of 34, 35 knots, even a couple that, that uh, um, are over 36 knots. So it's, mm. it's less stands out, but the speed is still quite, 
quite nice to have. The gun characteristics look exactly the same, however. Yes, Just and an uh, extra turret. yeah, and the the interesting thing is actually this is the last time we will see uh, again in the main line. Well, actually, at all in this line, this is the last time we will see the one fifty two millimeter gun, bit which is exactly six inches. Yes, um, and there's a reason for that, um, which is that. The Agano and, in theory, its successors were basically being armed with older guns that the Japanese either had still had lying around or were recovering from older ships from the period back when they were they used to have the Anglo-Japanese alliance going on, and some ships were still being built in British yards. So, um, at that point, they were therefore having ships with the same caliber as British guns because often they were either buying them outright or license building them mm-hmm. so the 152 millimeter is a, is a british six inch caliber and that's why where these ships are getting their guns from their their older weapons the same reason why the congos have 14 inch gun for example um but then as the japanese transition over to wholly constructing their own weaponry they use metric and so you start to see the the change. So although we shorthand say Nagato has 16-inch and Yamato has 18-inch, they're actually not quite that. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're near near enough to, but they're in whole millimetres rather than um, the, the odd numbers that the exact inch goes through to. And it's the same with the 6-inch guns. So the, 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 once the Japanese start designing their own, they go from 152 to 155 millimeter or 6.1 inch, and that's what we will see for the next. Well, at least at least for the next ship or two. <laughs> um, so because uh, then that's that that 155 millimeter is what the Japanese put then put on Yamato, Megami, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's their modern six six inch ish gun. Yeah, and it does explain why the if these are all the guns, um, why the the ballistics are so floaty with those one fifty twos. Yeah, uh, I think these are they're going to be. Um, I'm just going to double check this, but I think they're going to be the only Japanese ships in the game that that use those one fifty twos as a a primary armament, uh, alongside obviously mm. Yahagi already being in the game. Well, it's below it's, that it's it's like one forty millimeters, mm-hmm. and above that we're getting the one fifty fives. Yeah, well, I think some of the some of the six inch guns on the existing line are going to be one fifty twos. What guns did the Ubari have? I'm pretty sure that's one forties. Oh, I can't remember. I can just check though. Uh, Yubari is, yeah, 140mm. Because at the moment, the existing line, you get up to basically everything below for attacker is is uh, uh, the 140mm, and then you have this big jump to for attacker with its 8-inch guns at tier 5. And then you always had Megami standing out as the Odyssey with the choice of either the 8-inch or the uh, the 155s. But now we're going to have a lot more 155s in the game. Yes. <laughs> yes. So talking of 155s, let's move up mm-hmm. to the tier 7 now. Yes. So this is the Omono. 
Yeah, so at this point, we are now parting company on this main line of new ships with ships that the Japanese actually seriously considered building. Um, the best thing you can say for, Amon, for Amono is that she kind of, if you squint at it, looks a bit like an Ayodo, but if Ayodo had been built as a full gun cruiser. Um, so she's obviously got the 12 six-inch guns, three in uh, in four triple turrets, but effectively the, the aircraft handling area has been replaced by... <laughs> Um, by trip by triple sixes, which is a an interesting one. But it's certainly going to have quite a few of those uh, six inch barrels. Um, now I presume they're going to behave mostly the same as Megami's one fifty fives because we've had those in the game for a long time. Um, hmm. Oh, also, I told a lie. By the way, apparently Chikuma at tier two uses six inch guns. So there we go. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say some of the smaller yeah. ones will 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 do as well. But uh, yeah, so let's bring up Megami then. Curious to see how this compares. I mean, Megami's always been. I mean, it's entirely historical that it is an oddity with its two wildly different calibers of guns. But yeah, um, well, as we said, she's kind of this um, attempt to not to not quite. Circuit, to not quite break the treaty restrictions, um, but be ready to break the treaty yeah. restrictions. I think I think the only real equivalent I can think of is is um, sort of Scharnhorst and Eisenhower with their eleven to fifteen inch planned mm. conversions. Well, I mean the, the the conversions of Kitakami and Oi are basically the same thing. Okay, um, because. The those conversions were actually planned before the war, uh, but they kept them in. They kept the kind of, kind of kept them in their back pocket because, similar with to, to the Megamis, their idea was: well, we'll give everyone this idea of this is what our force structure is, and then when war comes, we'll very quickly switch over, so we'll have a more powerful force structure. But they won't know that. And even if they do figure it out, it'll be in the middle of the war, so we'll still have a considerable advantage until such time as they they develop their counters. Whereas if you converted it before the war, then people would see what was happening and could start making their own countermeasures earlier. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, there's a certain degree of sense to that, but it also, I guess, complicates designing the things initially, and uh, there's always going to be trade-offs, I suppose. I mean, yeah. How how fast would it go, right? Because if a lot of those ships, if war breaks out, it's not like you're like, it, it, could you just wait there? Like we we need two three months to just switch over our guns. Um, well, I mean, Kitakami and Oi's, which were obviously considerably more involved replacement than Megami's in some ways, um, they were converted relatively speaking quickly, um, but you, you're still talking broadly in terms of by the time you've taken the ship out of service brought it in swapped out whatever weapons you're going to swap out recommissioned it tested it and got your new crew experienced enough to operate it in a battle line um you're probably talking about at least a year around about 
Um, so it's the kind of thing where if you know you're about to go to war, like, say, I don't know, if you're planning a sneak attack on a massive enemy fleet base, mm-hmm. um, then you start laying the plan. You, well, you'd have all the material in place already, and then you start, you know, you start your refits four, six, eight months before you plan to go to war so that they're just starting to come online around about the time that your biggest surprise attack fleet has gotten back, refitted itself, and is ready to go out in in major combat again. Because as far as everyone else is concerned, you've just bought some ships in for refit, which serves, well, it's this dual-purpose thing. One is no one sus- suspects you're going to do this until it's actually finished, so the fact that you've brought them in doesn't really mean much on an intelligent scale. And two, it actually helps to in some ways deceive your opponents into as to what your intentions are because if you are planning for war what they would expect you to be doing is holding off on refits and surging ships out basically having the maximum number of ships ready to go whereas if you pull a bunch of ships in for refits that suggests oh this is just business as normal but in actual fact you're you're rearming everything <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, it was it was a cunning enough plan by the Japanese. It just turned out it didn't matter all that much. And yeah, just going looking quickly at some photos of Oyodo um, in in service. Yeah, this the the Omono is almost literally Oyodo back to the the aft of the funnel, mm-hmm. and then just rebuilt rebuilt with a with a gun armament instead of a, a seaplane armament. So it's kind of, it's not historical, but it's, it's plausible. It's, it's plausible. It's based off of a historic ship. It's kind of what if the Japanese had gone actually want more class B's instead of a class C? Well, we've already got this design. Let's tweak it a bit. So. Yeah. I mean, interesting, interestingly, though. sorry. It's just, it'll be interesting though, because it's, um, Ayodo uh, was not the world's biggest cruiser. Uh, it's not. It's not like a full ten thousand ton standard displacement treaty cruiser. So, cramming in twelve guns and heavy torpedo armament, etc., onto this thing, it'd be interesting to see what they've um, what's been dropped to make that viable, or have they? gone with the kind of you know the rule of paper ships in that they can sometimes outperform real real world ships because Possibly. no one's not being built you don't get a chance to see what their their weaknesses are i mean it is a lot slower yes uh, i'll say a lot so it's still 33 knots and i mean in game we don't have to worry about things like ships being top heavy which of course a lot of japanese designs were you don't really have to worry about stability in that way mm. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's not the it's not the only ship in that kind of displacement range for people to try and cram twelve guns on. Um, the Crown Colonies, the, the Fiji being the 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 other obvious example. But then again, the Fijis were known for being cramped and you know not having a lot of room for upgrades. And by the time it came to you know stick radar and uh, more AA guns on and everything. An awful lot of them lost the super firing aft turret to to make make stability and room for all these additional weapons. And obviously, in this case, this ship is um, carrying a similar level of armament, 
but it's in in terms of main guns, but it's also carrying a significantly heavier, heavier secondary armament in terms of those torpedoes. I mean, it's interesting that I feel like they... Like, I, I wonder what, what this ship would have been used for, right? Because with the... the uh... With the Agano, obviously, the ship existed, right? And then the Kokasi, mm-hmm. there was a plan how the Japanese wanted to use it, and it's reflected in the stats, right? It's relatively fast. Even has some amazing surface detectability, which obviously is not a realistic number, but it's, it would fit in with the idea that it uh, might be together with, uh, with smaller ships that might be leading around uh, the destroyers. And then you have the Omono, which they just go to, I'd say, standard wargaming cruiser starts, right? It has like a unremarkable speed, an unremarkable turning circle, unremarkable detection range, and just, you know, your standard amount of guns. It does have, I mean, it does actually have quite a good range for, for, for oh, six true. inch guns. I have to say, at tier seven especially, I mean, it outranges the Megami with the six inch guns. I think even with the heavy guns, it outranges Megami. Uh, I've also looked, it is the same um, shell stats as Megami, so we, we know roughly how these uh, 155s will perform. One unusual thing is the torpedoes, actually. 13-kilometer range, uh, up to 23, almost 24k damage, um, but only 57 knot speed. I don't think there's any other 13-kilometer torpedoes on the Japanese line. That's that's an unusual number. And to have those uh that heavier torpedo at tier seven as well, I mean that is um uh that's that that's gonna be nasty if you get hit by those. Definitely. And you should still be able to um to well you will be able to stealth drop even without um concealment expert. Well, it's not a big gap, but um, yeah, it looks like a lot of these will be able to stealth stealth torpedo, which is not something not uh, a common characteristic on a lot of cruisers. Yeah, and especially if you've got if you if you also stealth build them. <laughs> yes, uh, it is. I hadn't actually noticed that the tier six is really sneaky. I mean, I don't know if it's going to stay that sneaky, but nine and a half kilometers base concealment which is a huge jump down from the rather you know st- still decent but rather more standard 11.1 on the agano uh considering it's a bigger ship that is uh unusually yeah, sneaky I've, i feel like they really embraced with the stats the design philosophy of this ship leading destroyers in a sense because it has the yeah. speed and almost like the concealment to like stick with them So we've definitely moved away from that with the uh, the Amono. <laughs> definitely yeah, the, not a destroyer leader. The Amono is something where I don't think Wargaming, because it's it's a ship that they made up, there wasn't no, no uh, historical way yeah. it would have been used. So they were just like, well, the Japanese probably wouldn't build this anyway, so we just do whatever. Yeah, it's definitely moved away from the actual sort of um, uh, naval philosophy, if you like, of uh, of uh, Japan's uh, doctrine. That's the word I'm looking mm. for there, the yeah. doctrine. Also, yeah. uh, I was going to say what you were saying about Japan actually kind of planning mm-hmm. ahead for this sort of thing. I'm sure there were, uh, um, like, if they'd have been thinking of it in those terms, there would have been people in the Kriegsmarine sort of enviously going, you guys were planning ahead? 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, they they were they were kind of operating under the assumption there wasn't like oh, there's be war eventually, but it's fine. We'll have like you know another decade to build up the fleet before we do anything nuts like go to war with, um, uh, you know, the, the rest of Europe and oh Russia at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that is um. That is actually going to be among the better ranges of tier seven cruisers generally. Um, mm. A lot of them don't have great ranges necessarily, and Japanese cruisers tend not to. Uh, so that that's going to be a bit of an outlier. Um, yes, Jaws, that's 11.3. Uh, is there any other light cruiser that has that kind of range? Don't think so. Most of them are kind of 15, 16 kilometers. Uh, some of them kind of even less than 15 kilometers. I mean, we'll have to wait and see how the ballistics turn out if you actually yeah, be useful at that range. Um, I mean, I I remember, I haven't played it in a while, but I remember Megami with the 155s being um, reasonably okay. Like it, not the kind of floaty 152s that the, um, that, that, that's so notable on, on Yahagi. Yeah, because it's the... It's the newer 155 mm-hmm. at gun. And I, I remember you know, way back in the day when it was, um, you know, back when you just had the Japanese and the Americans in the game. Mm-hmm. And for a considerable time thereafter, there was actually a considerable movement in favor of using the Megami with its 155s and basically not bothering with the, the mm-hmm. 203s and, and until you had to just steam through the upgrade to get to the next, the next tier. The, they actually, yeah, they, they nerfed. They kind of repeatedly nerfed the 155 to try and get people to that. that uh, for a while, you had like um, basically battleship turret traverse on the the 155 mils for no other reason than to make them awkward to use. Yeah, um, they will have um, as Yosrul is noting in the chat. Hello, Yosrul, by the way. Uh, this this will have a rather a rather so a very slow rate of fire for a six inch gunned ship, though twelve and a half seconds. We're getting into heavy cruiser rate of fire. So you're going to have the range, but you're not going to have the rate of fire. Mm. Um, even the tier six is the, the, the tier, tier five and the tier six, six inch guns are, are kind of on the slow side at, at nine second reload. Which is again mm. what Yahagi has. So uh, yeah, Amono is not going to be a fast firing ship, but you'll have better range to play with. And. Um, Presumably decent, decent stealth. So um, yeah, I mean, well, the thing, the thing with the one fifty five is it's it's quite hard hitting, but it at, yeah. it does have a very large. It's not quite American in its shell weight, but it has a fairly heavy shell, and um, also has quite an quite a heavy amount of propellant charge, so it kicks out the shell at a very high speed. Um, but as with a lot of other high-speed weapons, whether they be you know Italian eight-inch or Italian fifteen-inch guns, or, or or you know even um, German fifteen-inch, when the auto with the semi-automated loading mechanisms broke down, they turn out to be somewhat slower firing because they have this considerably increased mm-hmm. um, weight of to- total all-up weight propellant and charge put together, which is then much more much more difficult proportionally for everybody to to handle and load, especially when you're talking about um, cruisers, where uh, whereas with battleships, a lot of it is kind of hand-guided, but semi-automated. 
on a lot of cruisers, it's there's still a lot more um, manual work involved. What would I mean? I, this might be an unfair question, but I don't know. You've you've got the book in front of you. Uh, what would be the the sort of uh, in practical terms the kind of the difference in handling between a 152 and a 155 mil shell? I mean, is it going to be fairly minimal, or is it kind of more than one would expect? Notionally, if you were using kind of average weight of shell, it wouldn't be all that different. I mean, it's yeah, it's three mil. Um, okay, it's a, that's a volumetric increase, but the it, it's not going to make a huge weight amount of difference in and of itself. Um, but it, I mean, the American six inch, which is what a one fifty two millimeter shell, is actually a heavier shell than the Japanese 155. Um, but what you've got to remember is that when you're talking about six-inch shells, they are beginning to approach the limit of what is comfortably handleable by by humans. Um, this was actually one of, the, one of the problems, even with the 5.25-inch, the British uh, World, World War II gun, which was that in a heavy seaway, and with a very sort of pitching, rolling ship, which again, light cruisers tend to be, um, 5.25, 5.56, 6.1 inch, you are, even if you split it into shell and charge, you are beginning to approach the upper limit of what a single person in an active environment can handle without either causing themselves injury because they get knocked over or they start to slow down because they have to be very careful about what they're doing. Uh, which is one of the reasons why a lot of six-inch um, guns at this point, in fact, pretty much all of them are using separate shells and charges because that brings the, the weight of any single thing you have to transport or carry down, um, possibly even below the weight of a 4.7 or 5-inch single um, combined shell. But it, it's still not a nice thing to be handling, especially because, of course, if you're firing semi-armor piercing or armor piercing, depending on the nation in question, um, it's not just about weight; it's also about density. Because if you're if you're carrying, you know, if you're carrying something big, something that you can kind of almost bear hug of a given weight, if it's if it's whatever arbitrarily, let's say weight forty kilos, but it's something you can just grab like this and carry, you can actually, in terms of body mechanics, you can deal with that a lot better than someone gives you a little lump of metal like this that weighs 40 kilos and says carry that mm -hmm. um yeah handling shells is not a pleasant experience certainly not any considerable size yeah I suppose, I suppose you wouldn't want to uh what's the upper body equivalent of leg day i don't know but you wouldn't <laughs> want to skip that no <laughs> I mean, considering that these days, like modern modern guidance on handling uh, shell on handling weights is, I think it's like twenty twenty kilos is advisable under health and safety guidance. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, not, that, that that is completely out the window when you're looking at at these things. <laughs> the, the the shell is a lot lot heavier than that. It's about. Twenty years, almost three times, two two and a half to three times as much, depending on which six-inch gun you're looking at. Okay. So um, that is a, I think actually, I think that might be the only one fifty-five because we're going on to Shimanto one. 
150 millimeter guns after yeah that. Now, what, what's the provenance of the 150 millimeter <laughs> um yes that's uh, an interesting one i mean it's disappointing it, to me it's disappointing on, on two levels i believe from what i've seen um although you know, I wouldn't say don't quote me on this, but hey, we're doing a, a, a stream, so obviously people will. But yeah, um, I believe it's the theory on on wargaming's logic is that the Japanese Navy would have wanted a newer, faster firing, higher performance weapon, and the Japanese Army has a one fifty mil anti aircraft gun that could then be turned dual purpose. Okay. And then they've just kind of gone, yeah, we're having that. Which, in theory, you know, in general theory of, of you know a, an army adopting a naval weapon or a navy adopting an army weapon, isn't entirely without precedent. Well, but we're talking we are... the Japanese navy and the Japanese <laughs> yes. army. Yes, so. yeah, we're, talk, we're talking about organisations that sometimes would have weapons produced in the same factory, yes. but would have a physical divider with armed guards on both sides <laughs> in that factory. Despite ostensibly being on the same side, yeah. So this is a Japanese army that had their own aircraft carriers and all, all their own airplanes that yeah. were completely different from what the navy had. And yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, in theory, yes, I can see the Japanese navy possibly acquiring a new gun design from the Japanese army, but it would probably be either via espionage or. <laughs> Or, or, you know, bloody massacre, um, <laughs> not polite request. Yeah. The other thing that slightly disappoints me about uh, about the fact, well, one, they've transited, transitioned over to this 150 battery, but also the the fact that we are, we're now entering into, with the fact it's on the 150s, we are actually entering into a fantasy area because... There are actually, notionally speaking, two slight design variants of ships which they could maybe have introduced into 7 and 8, uh, or also 8 and 9, um, which would have been early versions of Tone. Because, I mean, we all, we all know and love the, the premium Tone with its all-forward armament. But Tony is, of course, post-dates Megami, but is still a very early 1930 ship. The original design requirements for Tony were laid down in 1933, which is partly explains that then you've got this massive gap up to Agano historically. And originally, Tony was kind of a repeat improved Megami. So 15, 155mm guns um, in a layout which is basically what we get at with this uh, Shimanto. So you've got kind of the Megami upper deck, upper deck, super firing layout mm -hmm. forward, as opposed to um, the more Nelson-like super firing B turret, which you got on the earlier, on earlier Japanese ships and of course on uh, Agano dash Takao. And then your two, two uh, turrets aft. So if they'd done basically this, but with 155s and said this is kind of our the original um i think it's c38 cruiser design the tone sub variant uh, early version that would have been more historically accurate i i have a feeling they've gone for this notional 150 purely because they want the dual put to be able to say it's dual purpose 
which the 155 very definitely isn't. I mean, you look at the the Amono, and you can you can even see by the the modelling that the openings in the turrets that allow the guns to elevate are significantly smaller than you have on this Shimanto. You can see the the elevation cuts go right back, yeah. which would indicate this theoretical turret is able to fire kind of 70, 80 degrees or so vertically, thus the dual purpose, uh, which when then you look down the side, and you're like, yeah, that that's probably necessary for this theoretical ship to survive because there ain't that much in terms of secondary <laughs> anti-aircraft yeah. armament down the side. Um, but it is it is a little disappointing that they've kind of... Yeah, take. You can understand to a certain extent why, because of the air threat you get by tier eight. But um, yeah, it's kind of so close. Or, or the or the other alternative they could have done was that that let's say that was the original Tone design. Then Tone went through one more design revision before you got historical Tone, which was when they decided to turn it into a scouting cruiser. So it acquired what in-game, in, on, on Tony in-game, is this torpedo bomber launcher on the back. In in real life, was a scout aircraft launcher uh, array. But when they did that design, they moved it to the four turrets forward, and those four turrets were one fifty five triple 155s. And then when they decided, actually, stuff it, we're not doing this treaty nonsense anymore, the design got revised again to twin 203s, and then you get that's how you get Tony. So... I mean, if it was if it was up to me, and I was trying to stick close-ish to uh, Japanese designs, because obviously these were these were concepts; they weren't anywhere near as fully fleshed out as the improved Aganos were. But if I was going to be doing this at tier eight, I would actually be tempted to go with the all forward, the four triple one fifty fives all forward. So I'm retaining the same armament as you'd have at. Uh, at tier seven with a mono but you're able to bring it to bear a little bit more without exposing the side of your ship mm -hmm. you can still have your torpedo armament and then instead of having aircraft launchers on the back you could then take a leaf out of the historical oyodo career which was by the end of the war she wasn't launching aircraft anymore they just absolutely plastered her in 25 millimeter guns a lot of which were arranged in massive nests aft so then you could have had your 12-gun armament forward and then said, okay, well, in theory, if they had built this vessel and it had come into service in this way, then by the end of the war, she probably would have just you know, scrapped the aircraft and just cover the thing in a in light AA, which would, would be interesting. Because, I mean, uh, you know, Tier 8, we are talking about, what, um, Cleveland, um, Edinburgh, is Edinburgh Tier 8? Yes, so, yeah, yeah. Um, Bayard, maybe that's that, that was kind of like mm. an AA design. Wasn't yeah, it? so you you wouldn't be looking at you wouldn't be looking at being outgunned in the light cruiser department. You're all talk, you're sort of still talking you know, 12, 12 six inch guns or thereabouts, um, but just with a slightly unusual armament layout and fire arc, fire, arc of fire, and then this very interesting kind of. In, in in the event of enemy aircraft turn tail and run away and hope that this absolutely insane battery of uh, light AA can do something, which would be, would actually would have been an interesting ship to to play with as well as being slightly closer to historical reality. And then at, at tier nine, you could stick in, um, you know the the original tone A concept of um, fifteen guns and then go okay, well now we've got 
now we've got our 15 gun armaments which is you know, a one one triple turret better therefore it has it has more more main battery guns um you'd have to come up with something to deal with the 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 la- relative lack of anti-aircraft armament at that point but then this is this is a light cruiser tech tree split so Maybe that's its weakness. It doesn't have good AA cover because at that point it'll have speed, it'll have good um, torpedo armor, it'll have a decent, you know, broadside. It's just not particularly good at defend itself from aircraft. Let's well, be honest. Certainly... None of them will defend themselves from aircraft. No, I mean they no. are. They they stand uh, a lot better than the the heavy cruisers for the most part. But the Japanese mm. heavy cruisers are not good AA ships at no. all for the most part. Um, so Which is in keeping be, with historical reality. Yeah, they're, they're certainly going to be better tier for tier than their their counterparts. They, I mean, they, they are supposed to be a bit more AA focused generally, which maybe explains why they've taken this entirely hypothetical navalized mm. 150 mil gun to yeah. use as, as uh, dual purpose. Well, I mean, in the, in the Circle 5 and Circle 6 programs, there was allocation for, for some Class C anti-aircraft cruisers. But, you know, they, they they were kind of, this is what we'd like to build, but by the time they actually got around to whatever mutilated form Circle 5 turned into, they were they were gone. Mm-hmm. So they, they were at best back-of-the-napkin designs, um, as opposed to, you know, this is kind of Megami, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, no, which the DPS. So they're going to be uh, possibly comparable to American light cruisers, actually. I mean, the Shimanto with the DPS it puts out, 1.6 kilometer range. Um, you know, once upon a time, you know, that would have been, oh, that's a you know, Japanese Cleveland, but uh, of course. We know what Cleveland's AA is is mm. worth or not worth these days. So <laughs> they'll be good for cruisers, but they're not necessarily going to have that much stopping power. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah. I remember. I remember the old the era where a Cleveland was actually a decent AA. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've got a game off of my channel yeah. somewhere uh, before the captain. One of the, I think it was the very first big captain rework. Mm. Um, and when manual AA used to, you know be uh, an absolute monstrous skill to have in certain cruisers and uh, I think it's a game where I'd even forgotten to take defensive but it didn't matter because I had manual AA and I was still shooting yeah. everything out of the sky regardless Yeah and the, the interesting thing is when you look at the overall form of Shimanto, especially the very heavily raked trunked funnel um, in a lot of ways you can kind of see that this thing is Tone in some way just struggling to come out. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does, like, the whole form is not complete nonsense. Like, you compare it to um, the kind of holes that Megami and Tone hmm. and even Otago, although that's more the the higher tier ones. Um, yeah. Like the... Uh, Otago and uh, Takao, mm. um, but yeah, the, the like the, the ships are fictional, but they're not totally strange looking like no. some other but fictional ships we have. They, they are not Christopher Columbo, for example. Yeah, 
this is almost this is almost first first concept turn A, mm-hmm. but with the but with this a historical one fifty instead of the one fifty five millimeter battery, and then uh, yeah, and then you've got the tier nine Takahashi, which is just like, I, I mean, I haven't seen the the, the detailed stats breakdown. But it, does, it does have stats at the bottom that we can you can okay. take a gander out of that uh, that page. Um, mm. One one thing to note is that the one fifty fives are uh, definitely inferior in terms of damage, um, but uh, they do have pretty good range for a light cruiser without needing any kind of um, like spotter plane or any kind mm. of boost. So uh, what the ballistics of these 150s is going to be like is definitely a mystery. We don't have anything like that in the game at the moment, I don't think. I mean, there's the German 150s, but I don't think they'll have the same ballistics somehow. Uh, as long as they're not as floaty as the American 6-inch guns, I suppose. Yeah. Because they can be harder, very hard to use at uh, long ranges. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at it now. It's uh, oh yeah, main battery. There you go. Firing range: eighteen point seven kilometers. You can actually glance up and compare them to the tier seven. So slightly less damage. Um, actually, slightly more fire chance, which is interesting. Hmm. Slightly higher initial velocities, which would make sense in that it's kind of a it's a dual purpose gun, but adapted from an anti aircraft artillery piece, at least notionally. So yeah. it would be it would be firing with that slightly higher velocity. Reload time's gone up, which I'm yeah sure heavy cruise but... reload time at that point fourteen seconds. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to make it very popular. No. Um. Well, the fifteen kilometer torps. Yeah, again, the the they seem to be progressing the torpedo ranges um, hmm. almost like the um, like the not quite the same as the German destroyer line, where you just have this quite orderly progression of the torps getting steadily longer range, which is not that usual for for most lines. But yeah, hmm. they, they seem to be putting an emphasis on the torpedoes on these. Yeah, and the surface detectability is only a hair above 11 kilometers so there's actually yeah. quite a broad range for stealth torping in here in some ways it almost feels to me like this the this thing is it's kind of almost similar to the original line japanese destroyers you you you're supposed to run in stealth torp and whatever guns you have are more of a um I fire these in general annoyance at you while you I run away if you happen to detect me weapons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not really expected to be winning any gun duels with them. They're certainly uh like these these are uh pretty standard in terms of their HE pen as well. So mm. it, it's not like German one fifty mil where you've got that built in IFHE. So if you you want you know, like you, you, you're either going to have to go. Um, I mean, you you can completely ignore IFHE and try and focus on setting fires, or you can take IFHE and try and get more damage. But you can't really have both. Yeah. So uh, yeah, as to those guns, we'll have to wait and see. But the torpedoes do look 
interesting. I mean, I think it's been a flat two minute, uh, yeah, two minute reload for the torpedoes since since the tier five. And again, that might change, but that's that's not too bad for a cruiser. And considering again, these are high damage torpedoes with with a long range. And you get um, more of them. Like at tier nine, you have yeah. four times four already. Like the lower tiers, they have like two times four. It's also interesting that the torpedoes change. Like originally, in the lower tiers, they do like 60 knots or so. And then at some point, yeah, it switches to 57. But that's not that much slower considering the range of these torpedoes. I mean, what? how does that compare to the... That the, uh... They are also 100 meters easier detected. So basically, the speed goes down, the detectability goes up. So you have, in that sense, sneakier, more deadly torps at the lower tiers. Yeah. Yeah, they're more kind of conventional at the lower tiers. And then at the higher tiers, we're getting more towards... Um... Well, let me just pull up the stats of the 20-kilometer torpedoes, uh, which is, what, two and a half kilometers on those? Um, so they're not as bad as that. They're kind of splitting the difference between the 12-kilometer the and the 20-kilometer torps. Um, but they actually do more damage than the 20-kilometer torps as well. So we'll see. Um, those might be nasty to come up against. Um, so we've, we've kind of then, um, yeah, we started to talk about the tier nine, the Takahashi, which yeah. does look rather similar to the tier eight. Yeah, they've kind of said it's just an upgrade. What's it? An upgraded version with slightly more torpedoes and anti-aircraft. Which I mean, they've given it quad launchers instead of triples, so there's yeah. a few more, few more torpedoes in the water. But um, bypass the same, barely an increase in hit points. Yeah, slightly increased surface detectability, but the uh, the the AA, I mean, technically, yes, it's an improvement. The AA guns have a slight, the, the 100 mils have a slightly longer range, um, but I'm kind of looking at it and going, yes, in theory, you've in significantly increased the number of 25 well, not actually, not that much increase the number of twenty-five mils, but they've they've tr thrown on a couple of forty mils. So presumably, presumably, this is reflecting some of maybe this ship is going out with some of the forty very small stock of forty millimeter bofors that um, Japan had for various reasons by the mid to late part of World War Two. So yes, in theory, that's an improvement because, to be honest, having some forty mil bofors aboard would be a vast improvement of almost any arbitrary number of twenty fives. Mm -hmm. um, but as you said earlier, let's face it: in in game, your light medium AA really doesn't actually account for all that much when it comes to defending yourself against air attack. Yeah, it's it's it might whittle down more planes over time, but for any mm -hmm. individual strike, it doesn't actually matter. Um, I'm just looking at it in terms of DPS numbers, though. It, it's uh, at, at tier nine. I think that's going to be comparable to the Dutch, which were another line of cruisers which are mm. supposed to have good AA. Um, it introduces having range. a mid, yeah, it introduces a mid-range band, which, which actually makes you weaker. <laughs> yeah, the mid-range band is is there, which presumably is these forty mils, and then you have a slightly slightly less powerful close range band. Yeah, people are really gonna have to loiter their planes over for you to 
uh, over your ship mm. to have any uh, significant effect. Uh, unless they fly into your flak, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's that's not so hard to avoid. So, uh, yeah, that... So they've taken the fictional ship and gone, what if fictional ship, but a slight upgrade? Well, it's just slightly better, yeah. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, as I say, it's, it's a little disappointing. I would I would have been very interested to see the two actual tone experiences as I described earlier, because then... You know, along with a Yoda, with kind of a, what if a Yoda was a full surface firepower ship? That would actually have taken us up to tier nine with plausible, if not, you know, if not fully fleshed out historical designs. But uh, such is life. <laughs> I have a feeling that they just wanted to stick very traditional, like traditional gun layout, not to do anything experimental and so on and maybe also maybe they didn't want to put in the work they went like hey this looks vaguely like a Japanese cruiser and we just place the amount of guns on it that we want and mm. make up the stats that mm. we want and we just make it as linear as mm. we can with no odd ducks mm. I, suppose, oh. I suppose from their point of view that's something of a benefit because they're not having to work around the uh uh, the exigencies of um, actual designs and trying to mm. fit them in um, yeah. a coherent line. Although they, they they did have to go and invent an entire new gun, so yes, <laughs> swings and roundabouts on that one. Uh, there is, I mean, actually, the the tier ten, the Yodo, and you know what mm. everyone's going to nickname that as. Yes, um, that uh, actually has a shorter range. That interestingly, that's that's uncommon for it to. Uh, to lose range, but of course, mm. tier nine, tier ten, you're going to have the option to extend that. But um, it's going to have six triple turrets. So uh, I think this makes it technically the most heavily armed light cruiser in the game. Yeah, I think it will be. We have um, we have things like uh, Venezia mm. um, that have a lot of, of turrets, but uh, yeah, I don't think we have any light cruisers that are really comparable to that. I mean, Venezia's only five triple turrets even, so uh, yeah, that's going to be a hefty broadside, but again, it's a heavy cruiser reload. Yeah. Maximum dispersion slightly less, although you're losing a little bit on range as well. Yeah. So you get a fairly nice alpha strike against other people, but you're going to be waiting quite a bit for your next salvo. Yes, I mean, 14 seconds unmodified that's you know, sort of almost three quarters of the way to stealthing up again at that point mm. I, i'd almost wonder if if the the way to use the yodo would be possibly even be to if you want to get in a gunfight would maybe be to ripple fire off the turrets that would bring you a little bit closer to your to your reloading your first turret which might then be a little bit more discouraging to people if you've got this series of triple salvos triple um, shells coming in rather than just oh look there's a huge salvo and now we're waiting uh, one thing i mean in comparison to the uh the long reload they do have all very very quick turret traverses eight nine and mm. ten uh extremely quick i mean you go from tier seven with 36 degree turret traverse which is on the long side for a light cruiser and then suddenly it's at tier eight it's uh six seconds mm. Uh, and that's like, is, is the Worcester even that fast? I'm going to have to check. 
but that that's on the tier of like the Minotaur and and the Worcester and uh, mm. uh, yeah, Minotaur I think slightly faster. Yeah, um, Smolensk must be around about yeah. Smolensk is six seconds, so that's that's a very mm. snappy turret response. There's times when that's going to be useful, but it's it's less useful than if you have fast turret traverse plus fast firing gun. Like yeah, I was going to say if you, if I was facing off against this thing in my Minotaur, I don't think I'd be too worried. <laughs> yes. It'd just be like, okay, I know you've got one big alpha strike. Come on, give it to me while I'm angled because it's still 150 mil millimeter. I've got a reasonable chance of bouncing a lot of it. And then as soon as you've angled, as soon as you've sent off that big broadside, I'd be like, right, now I now it's my turn. I I literally have the time at this point to turn turn myself a bit more broadside to unveil my guns and probably get three or four salvos off. Yeah, it's before it's I what, have to turn back again. Three and a bit seconds on the Minotaur. Mm. So that's four. That's almost five salvos. Yeah, and then potentially fa- fa- factor in a bit of wiggle room to act, to sort of either make your turn in or begin your turn out to get to deflect the next salvo, and. And of course, even while you're you're angled, you're still going to have some of the forward guns firing. So, yeah, this thing ain't winning any um, any gun contest. And you know, okay, Worcester is not quite as agile as Minotaur, but it's a little bit it's a little bit more durable. And against six inch shells, you know, the armor might actually mean something if you're somewhat angled. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think against against the other. Tier ten fast firing cruisers. This isn't this isn't going to be the ship you want to be in, unless someone you know tries to literally engage you in a broadside com- combat with the Minotaur. Because at that point, that many shells, you'll probably catch a few citadels. I mean, even that reload, even versus a lot of the heavy cruisers, you are mm. sort of at best on on parity, if not slightly worse. I mean, I think that tier ten certainly a lot of them actually fire faster than. I mean, there are ones like Goliath that fire slower, but. Uh, let's see, Henri Catra's uh, 240mm guns that reload in 13 seconds. Mm. Um, Petro reloads in 12 and a bit seconds. And to be honest, if you're going broadside against a Goliath, uh, yeah, slightly slower firing rate's probably not going to save you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean Nevsky 180mm guns reload in 6 seconds, so... You you also have the problem yeah. of uh, massive turning circle and rotor shift time. So you can't like wiggle like most cruisers do. You can't like turn in, fire your guns, and then turn back, right? If you turn, mm. that's, torpedoes uh, is it is fairly. I think the rudder shift more so than the turning radius. The turning radius is fairly bad, but not exceptionally bad for tier ten. Um. Although having said that, even things like Venezia's seven sixty meters, that's sort of under eight hundred meters. So yeah, actually it is it is actually fairly bad. Zhao's eight forty. There we go. So there are other ones that are Yoshino over nine hundred meters. So it is pretty bad, actually. Um but there are worse. I think the Soviet cruisers are all rather worse apart from Smolensk. Yeah. Torpedoes are basically unchanged from tier nine. But your surface detectability has gone up by a kilometer, so you you've still got that stealth talk window, mm-hmm. and even more so if you if you stack on the concealment bonuses, but it's a lot narrower at this point, and obviously you're going to be a considerably larger vessel, so 
what's also interesting is that they they slightly change like the turret layout like now the middle turret is elevated from the front three yeah so you've it's i mean when you look at the pyramidal superstructure as well this is this is basically some some variant of an agano to dash to cow it's that kind of generation of japanese ship design but yeah been through, been through a lot that very distinctive kind of angled bridge structure mm. Yeah, not sure. We're not entirely sure what to make of that, to be honest. But yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how these play. I mean, um, mm. I think light cruiser lines generally are, uh, unless they've got some amazing gimmick, they tend to mm. be sort of less popular overall. But um, yeah, they're going to have. I think they're going to have range as their. Mm. That's going to be sort of like the range and the torpedoes are going to be their defining characteristic. Mm. I mean, if you compare them to the last light cruiser we had at line we had, which was the uh, the Pan Asians, those all have much shorter ranges. But of course, they've got the smokes as well. Yeah, uh, and even then, um, with the much shorter ranges, it's not like they have amazing rates of fire. No, I mean, again, if I was going if I was going to design this as a tier ten, if I was following my previous design principles of you know taking from the uh, the hypothetical subvariance on Tone's actual design. What I would have done with this one is taken my hypothetical tier eight, i.e. the four four turrets forward with the scouting aircraft or AA bat nest aft and gone, okay, kind of similar to what they've done with the um with the Iodo design and gone, okay, well we'll remove that aft element and just stick a pair of triples on the back. Because that would still have gotten you your six triples, which is what they've got here. But it would have been a very interesting layout with four forward, two aft. Mm-hmm. And again, it would have been kind of one step, two steps removed from reality because it would have been a hyper, it would have been like the previous, the the, the last but one actual tone design, but then modified. But it still would have had a bit of a stronger route in historical reality. Although again, my in my version, I would have kept the one fifty fives, but such is life. <laughs> Can't always have what we want. Well, that needs to be your next project. Clearly, make your own game with ships. Yeah, if only I had three yeah. D well, models. Craft ships. <laughs> I'd play it. Yeah. Um, oh. So then we have um, one last Japanese cruiser. Uh, yes. Bit of a silly-looking thing. Mm-hmm. Takashi, Tier 7, which is a full attacker hull, but with, uh, what is it, 127mm dual-purpose guns in six turrets. Uh, does this have any historical basis whatsoever? Because I'm going to guess no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, the, the, closest, the closest thing I could find that maybe would match up to, for this would be um yeah again in Japanese Pacific Cruise, I'm just looking at it now. So in the same um section as it describes the Tenryu and Yubaris, there is an eight thousand ton scout cruiser design that um is supposed to have five or six possibly twin turrets with type three hundred and forty millimeter guns on the center line. Uh mounts in a pyramid arrangement with three turrets forward and two or three aft, so that's kind of this arrangement that we can see here. Um, 
alternative arrangement was considered with the new 50 caliber 20 centimeter or 7.9 inch guns uh, and then you've got two two twin torpedo mounts either side um so if you'd gone if they'd gone for the five the five uh well they're saying six twin turrets oh yeah six so basically yeah. if if they'd gone with the six twin turret version so they've got two sets of pyramidal type gun mounts with this theoretical um 8000 ton cruiser design from 1918 and then at some point refitted it with 127 mils instead of the 140s that they would have originally installed on it you could end up with something along these this line um but yeah that that that's about the closest i could i could find um okay so yeah kind kind of similar layout but very different um obviously very different armament um as, as far as i can tell it's pretty much just a copy of uh the most prevalent japanese 127 mil destroyer gun the uh was it the third year type mm -hmm. as opposed to the the hayate's uh faster firing ones uh, so yeah. i mean uh, it's not a bad a bad broadside uh those japanese destroyer guns do do a decent amount of damage, but it's also got the reload of a Japanese destroyer as well mm. at uh, seven seconds. So um, yeah, it's it's not necessarily terribly impressive. And of course, transporting a tier five hull, even a relatively well armored for tier five, tier five hull up to tier seven, when suddenly you can see uh, tier nines. Yeah, that's I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the the idea behind this one is, other than. Um, let's stick in a premium to go with this new line. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of like almost a Japanese Atlanta in some ways. Kind of, I guess. Um, I think they are supposed to be dual purpose, aren't mm. they? These these one twenty. Oh yeah, yeah, rapid fire dual purpose artillery. So yeah. it's, it's in the ballpark, albeit not with quite the same rate but, of fire. But I'm having just... said that, uh, it's still not particularly good AA. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's. In fact, that might actually be worse AA than the uh, the Tech Tree line Tier 7. Pretty sure it is. Yeah, oh. by quite a margin, actually. Where, where are your top launches? Do you have, like like they say, they have two, point, uh, uh, two top launches with three tops each, but are they, like, one on each side, or can could they go both ways? Uh... I mean, I would have assumed they were like for attackers, but they might have. You can see them. one on the broadside in the picture in the blog. How many? How many is it supposed to be carrying? Two times three. Okay, so it's one on each broadside from the looks of it. Because it do get a torpedo reload booster, so it seems like they want to push the torpedo angle simply some more. But even with um, a reload booster, if you only have three per side, that's not really gonna give you much. Yeah, I mean, for attacker is. Uh, two quad mounts, so it looks like they've they stole a torpedo. Yeah, they've stolen a torpedo. It does have slightly longer range. Uh, Twelve kilometers versus ten. I think they are otherwise the same torpedoes, though. One point six, slightly worse detectability. 
but same damage. I mean, for attack, at least we can say has good torpedo drop angles, and hopefully this will be the same. I, I can't see why it would be any different. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced about this as a tier seven. <laughs> I, I guess we'll see. If you charge around using it as a large destroyer, you might get away with something. It would have um, to have better surface detectability for that, though. I mean, I'll yeah, it's not bad, but it's it's not the super sneaky, uh, ridiculously sneaky um, surface detection that the the, the, the tier six the Gokasi has. So, I mean, for I a ship that know. size, it's actually pretty bad consumer right? I mean, this is yeah. a pretty smaller ship. Yeah, it must be I'm, about what the her attacker has. Let me. Center reserve eleven point nine for fur attacker, without, without the captain skill. So it's just very slightly better than the fur attacker. Um, so you can get it to like ten point six kilometers, which is not terrible, for considering but, it's only got thirteen point six firing range. That's a pretty narrow window. Of, yeah. of getting close enough to something and remaining unspotted before you start opening fire. You'd expect to be at 10 or below, like between 9 and 10, I would yeah, expect, for, for a ship like we, that. We have other short-range cruisers at that tier, like like Atlanta, um, but they tend to have rather better concealment. Atlanta is like 10.6 space. Yeah, you can get the Atlanta to under 10. Um, I'm trying to think what else there is that's like that. Uh, Chumphon, I think, is the only other 127 mil. And that will go down to also 9.3. So, yeah, um, that's that's going to be awkward. That's going to be very awkward. We shall yeah. see. I mean, those are they might preliminary stats. Yeah. yeah, preliminary stats. They might revise that. Hopefully they revise that. Uh, I guess we'll see. I mean, in theory, I'm not against having a, a, a nice big broadside of, of those Japanese 127 mils because even on the destroyers, they, they can be um, uh, quite nasty, potentially. They're just rather slow firing. But the problem is these are also rather slow firing for, for those destroyer caliber guns. So... Um, yeah, I don't know. If they were going to slap a smoke on it or something like that, I could kind of see them having the rest of these stats, but uh, it doesn't. It's got the torpedo reload booster and it's got a fighter, and that's it. Yeah, so. and I've, I've just kind of gone, very quickly gone through the entire mo lifetime and modification of the Furutakas themselves, and at least according to Japanese cruisers of the Pacific War, they were always looking at the modernizations being in terms of replacing the old 7.9s with the more modern um more modern 8-inch guns that you found on the later big Japanese heavy cruisers um there's not really any mention at least in my speed read of anything to do with turning the Furutakas into effectively AA ships so I think if they'd given it Hayate's one twenty seven mils. Mm. That might have been interesting. I mean I can I can yeah, I can see the Japanese in an alternate timeline where they actually took air defense a little bit more seriously, maybe going for this because 
otherwise the Furutakas don't really have a lot going for them. Um, not, I mean, yeah, it's not completely inconceivable to, no. to downgun a design like that. But I mean, still. the dimension of anti-SLRs, because the in-game stats... Like I'm just looking now at the the in-game anti-air stats, and yeah, the, oh boy, the is it bad. Is bad. <laughs> it is actually pretty bad, considering it's supposed mm-hmm. to be, uh, uh, you know, they make a point of it. Oh, it's got dual-purpose main battery. Uh, yeah, well, good luck if getting them to fly into your flag, because the DPS otherwise is pretty terrible. So bad uh, might so, uh, sh- start shooting your own ship. Hundred, not even quite 150. DPS on a tier seven cruiser, um, which is probably is that even comparable to the Miyoko's? Because Miyoko's have pretty bad AA. Slightly better than Miyoko. That's not saying much. No, no. I mean, it's as I say, you got the like the British um, C class AA refits, and the, and even one or two, and the proposed refits for the D class. So the idea of taking an old an old cruiser and going actually we're going to turn this into an a into a stopgap aa cruiser it's not necessarily out entirely out there um but as you said it's like it's not it's not actually particularly brilliant in that role either yeah oh well it it, 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 it shall remain probably something for collectors yeah uh it'd be nice if it was it's almost odd that that having the uh, the Oyodo available as an actual ship that actually you know sailed mm. around and did stuff that they they didn't choose that as the premium to go along with the line. But I guess that, like you said, they are saving that for either aviation cruiser or mm. <laughs> anti sub cruiser. Who knows? We shall see. Um, so we are done now with the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Destroyers. So we've got a couple of other things to look at. We have the Tier 9 um, 20s German design, uh, well, based on a idea from the 20s. So yes. how, how <laughs> much that parlays into actually being based on any one particular thing. Well, I mean, given knows. in the late 1920s, we're talking about the Reichsmarine, and they are very much still sticking with the Versailles Treaty yeah. um, requirements. Uh, which is, you know, that's limiting you to 11-inch guns, it's limiting you to 10,000 tonnes, that's why you have the Deutschlands. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Admiral Schroeder, which is going to have, um, I think, well, nominally the same um, guns as, uh, well, 11-inch guns, 3 or 5 mils. Uh, I know that's not even 11 inches, is it? Nope. 3 or 5, that's 10 inch? I honestly can't remember. I think 3 or 5 is 12. Oh, 12 inch. Okay. Yeah, no, 11 is 283, isn't it? So, yeah, 12, mm-hmm. 12 inch guns. Um, yeah, so uh, that's going to be interesting. It'll sort of uh, have a, a little bit more... Well, it depends how the guns perform, I suppose, but it might potentially have a bit more punch than the... Um, is it the Siegfried or the Aegir that has the 11-inch? It's the same guns as, as like, the, the Aegir. And oh, the Siegfried same, has bigger oh, ones. I've always always think Aegir's got 11-inch guns, but no, it's 12-inch guns on that, isn't it? Mm. And, and the so Siegfried has, I think, the 380, so it's the Siegfried yeah, has even better guns. Oh. Yes. Mm. 
So in, uh, in some in ways, case, this is almost like a German German version of Alaska. Maybe, except yeah. One tier down. What's the down tiered Alaska that we've got in game? Uh, Congress is uh, yeah. the, the tier eight one. Yeah. So this is kind of halfway between. Because no, Alaska's tier nine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, tier nine. Yeah, so yeah, so this is basically German Alaska. Twelve inch guns, twelve inch guns, not particularly brilliant protection. Doesn't look like the shells are quite the same as the Aegea. That might be positing an earlier mark of uh, of well, ammunition. Yeah, they'd, ha- or, they'd or have gun. to be if they were saying. I mean, they 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 may they may be going going with a similar similar thing to the how the Deutschlands um, were designed with basically a very slight very slightly warmed over World War One era eleven inch. This may be sort of simulating a slightly warmed over World War One era twelve inch. Something that you'd more commonly find on what the tier three and four, mm-hmm. probably the tier four battleships. I mean, it's interesting because, well, it, it's sort of an Aegir that has the same guns but worse shells with no tops but an engine boost. It does have one fewer barrel, we should point out, because Aegir's got mm. the triples. Three by three, uh, turret mm. design, this is two by four. Or four by two, rather. Oh, okay, um, yeah. uh, slightly worse range as well, but you're able to boost that, I guess. Uh, what else am I looking at? Uh, oh no, I'm looking at AGA with the gunfire mm. mod system on. So actually, I can't remember what the base range of AGA is, but uh, might be similar. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what the actual armor scheme is like. I think that would be like the, the firepower is probably fine. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of depends uh, how relatively tanky it is compared to the. Uh, Siegfried and the the uh, Edgier. Mm-hmm. I mean, losing the torps is—I don't know. I would rather have the torps than an engine boost, I guess. They can be useful at times. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That that one looks not particularly <laughs> controversial, shall we say? I mean, it, it's. It looks like to me problems, uh, but... they they think super cruisers sort of a tier nine cell German one, so why not have another Maybe, one? Maybe, yeah. It does it, it, it comes across as more of a variation of an existing thing rather than uh anything new or particularly interesting. So yeah. Um detectability twelve point six. Actually that's not too bad. That's actually not too bad at all. Um, anything else there that's particularly interesting? Not really. Yeah, uh, so that that just looks like it's going to be a variation, really. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what the armor looks like because if it if it's really super squishy, then that's going to be a lot less fun than if it can. Tank some damage on its belt. Mm. Uh, so I guess yeah, not too much more to say about that. Um, no. And we have uh, a super carrier for the Japanese, the Sekiryu, which it says 
the development of the Taiho class. Well, a f- further development at this stage, I would say. Because um, Hakuryu is supposedly the... Um, is supposedly... Because well, the, there, there was a... Again, there was a further development of Taiho planned in Circle 5, Circle 6. Um, but then... You, this is the the funny thing with the with the Japanese is the the when when it comes to notionally sticking things on paper, they just put Kai insert previous ship. It's like Kai Taiho improved Taiho, um, and there there are a couple of instances when it comes to Circle Five and Circle Six where they have like Kai Kai insert old ship here. Um, the problem with that is that you're kind of like looking at it going. They're basically, because they're plot planning things quite significantly in advance, they're going, right, well, we have this design, so we want an improved version of this design for this building program, and then we're going to have an even more improved version of that for the next building program. But simultaneously, whilst you can say, yes, on paper, they wanted that concept, the, you flip it around, it's like, but we have absolutely no idea what that would actually have looked like. Hmm. Um because it's more of a statement of ambition. I mean, it's kind of like you know, in the, with the modern, the mo- and if you look at the modern day with the Royal Navy saying, or the Ministry of Defence at least saying they're going to have Type eighty three ships to replace the Type forty fives. It's like, yeah, that that's basically all we know. <laughs> what what that could be is anything. And with Sakuryu, I think they've just gone, okay, we've got Hakuryu, which is supposed to be a Kai Taiho, and now this is Kai Kai Taiho. So it's got to be better than Hakiryu, and that's really about as far as it goes. I mean, I suppose it's sort of the logical choice for, you know, if they're going to have something that comes after the Hakiryu, then that rather than, like, a completely original wargaming creation, but it's... Yeah, or... it's almost a completely original wargaming. See, I, I would have actually creation. been more interested in seeing if they'd gone, if they'd just gone. Actually, you know, we're going to do Shinano, but Shinano mm-hmm. as a full-fledged fleet carrier rather than the uh, sort of aircraft su- carrier support vessel that she was built at. That because that probably would have been in about the same dis- range displacement-wise. Right. I, I heavily suspect they're saving Shinano for a tier 10 premium at some point. Mm. Or, well, you know, semi-premium, something you'll be able to buy with real money, but also probably some in-game way as well. Or if they ever actually make their support carrier line. True, maybe. Mm, yeah, HMS Unicorn would fit in there as well. But yeah, it's just... Yeah, I don't even know what to make of it, to be honest, that... <laughs> What was in American Midway? Uh, sorry, Japanese Midway. Or yeah, subvariant. Um, we have the usual tactical squadrons, AP bombers. I don't think it's doing anything. Take a look at the stats, but I don't think any of us are particularly well qualified to talk about uh, carriers and carrier gameplay. I certainly can't glance at the stats and go, oh, yes, that's different as in the mm. same way I can looking at, say, battleships or cruisers. Uh, so the it's a super carrier, be... so it's going to be super annoying. Yeah, it's going to be attack aircraft and torpedo bombers, so no attack squadron dive bombers. 
Yes. It, it, it possibly, to a very small degree, justifies the existence of submarines. <laughs> well, you say that, that... But, you know, one of like the only dev blog we had in the last week that was new mm-hmm. was um, uh, that, that uh, carriers are getting automatic ASW. Well, like yes. they're testing automatic <laughs> ASW. Uh, I, I, I may have been a small contributor to them wanting to do that, considering that the only times I ever take out take out submarines to play with, my first <laughs> thing is to look at look at the list and go, are there carriers? Right, set course for enemy carrier, because then it's the two most unpopular ships in the game. You can <laughs> with each other, and everyone else yeah, finds it hilarious. <laughs> cancel each other out. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, we'll 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 get everyone to direct their hate mail to you then for. Or even more bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that is sort of a bit weird is mm-hmm. that the tactical squadron torpedo bombers are 148 knots cruising speed, which is actually slower than two thirds of the standard squadrons. And I think that's because they don't count the jet boost. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But it's like the standard ones are 145, and the the, the tactical squadrons are 148. Uh, but they must have they must have a substantial boost. It doesn't actually give you the boosted speed in the stats for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, so we have uh, finishing off this page. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Soviet super battleship, the Admiral mm-hmm. Gushakov. A.K.A. Yamatoski. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is a variant of Project 24, which, is that going to be following on from Kremlin, or is that going to be a different battleship project? I honestly can't remember. I mean, to be honest, by this point, <laughs> I mean, given, given how much of a paper design Kremlin was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kremlin also ma- mentions Project Twenty Four, so it's mm. sort of, I guess, again the same thing, but a bit more so. It's basically somebody just went into the store and was like, "Give me a Kremlin, but make it super." Yes. Yes. So we can at least look at the Kremlin and see how it sort of directly compares. I think it has the exact same guns as the Kremlin. It's basically a Kremlin, I think, with more hit points and a sniping special buff. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and this rather wonderful um, quad quad barrel 100mm mount with the two-step guns. Yeah, they are kind of funky looking, aren't they? Yeah. Let's have a look. See, so same, yeah, same armament. As Kremlin, uh, does it have any special combat doodads? Yeah, yeah, it, it can. Like, it has that buff where it gets, uh, I think, more range and thirty percent better dispersion. Oh yes, mm. I think we've seen that listed previously somewhere, haven't we? Um, so, yeah, slightly better range. I think it's got the same reload. Shells are going to be. Identical. Uh, I'm presuming I'm presuming it has a bit better AA. Probably improved a little bit. 
Uh, yeah, actually, it's going to have beefy AA, 30 knots. So, yeah, it, it's basically Kremlin plus one. And the uh, the combat instructions on top of that. So, you know, Kremlin that occasionally is going to get to hit you even more accurately. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, the very last thing, yep. moving over to a different dev blog page, mm-hmm. is the announced Tier 10 uh, Dutch destroyer, the Tromp. Now, this one mm-hmm. has been a bit controversial in terms of its, uh, in terms of its uh, characteristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of destroyer leader-sized, 150-millimeter guns, and uh, it's only going to have damage control party and an engine boost. So no smoke. And uh, it's, I don't think it's particularly fast either. No, 33 and a half knots. That's going to be a bit of an odd one. Uh, yeah, although a historic vessel. Okay, yes. So this is... Trump actually existed. Well, that's, that's always a thing in the favor of, you know, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it'll be any good. But no, uh, but she, she's existed. She's a bit of a weird one in that, she, uh, kind of like the Condottieri's and the very, very largest concepts for the Contra-Torpilliers, she's right at this boundary of light cruiser dash very large destroyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she, you know, with six, five, 5.9 inch gun she's actually got the same kind of firepower as some italian well, some of the early italian contieris the arethusa agano you know it's it's the same it's the same main battery just on a a rather smaller vessel because basically no, next to no armament uh, sorry armor on the other hand she does have some armor so as a destroyer yeah. she might prove a she might prove a little bit hard to crack for some of the other destroyers. That can be a bit of a mixed blessing when it comes to destroyers, though, in terms of, like, Mm. arming shells that otherwise might have uh, overpenned. Yeah, I'm thinking more about something like... um, Oh, Haragumo or something like that. The the, the destroyers that just tend to chuck HE at you, um, having the ability to actually block some of that might be useful. But at the same time, you've got, I mean, eight second reload. You could get that down to something within within the realms of high tiered, some of the worst high tier destroyer guns with um, some upgrades. But it's not a great rate of fire for six no, guns. No, uh, it's eight second reload. So you're really like. If you can find someone else's smoke and plink away at broadside cruisers, maybe, mm. but you don't even—you're not going to have improved AP that the the German, um, the heavy destroyer, the heavy gun destroyer line has. No, and um, they're hoping that the fact you've got uh, an airstrike will make yes. up for the lack of smoke and the low rate of fire, and the uh, pretty weak torpedo load mm. as well. Um, it's. Uh, two triple tubes, 13.7k damage, range 10 kilometers. Mm. Speed's not bad, reload's not bad, but th- those are pretty weak torpedoes at tier 10. Yeah, I mean... So, I... This, this is the controversial thing, I think, is, is the fact that it's going to have this 
airstrike. Yeah. So how can I make up for the rest of it? I mean, if I was being charitable, kind of similar to my comments actually back when back when you had I think when you had me first on and we were talking about the Dutch cruiser line. Um, if I was going to be particularly charitable, I I might say that it might be useful for flushing out destroyers that like to camp because you could use the airstrike on a state like, you know, like, like we've all had, you know, we're in a Japanese destroyer, a Japanese, uh, rapid firing hundred mil destroyer just parks itself behind an Island or in a smoke screen and just starts deluging you with lots of irritating little fire starters. If you were in a tromp, then you could just drop an airstrike on them to force them to come out, and hopefully that would do enough damage that your relatively anemic main battery firepower might be able to finish them off before they turn on you, combined with the fact you have a little bit of protection against their HE. But that seems to be a very, very specific niche counter, because it assume it would assume that you run into an HE spamming um, destroyer that's gone into cover behind an island, which, okay, that's not necessarily entirely outside the realm of possibility, but it also relies on them, uh, it relies on you being able to get to them without being, you know, blown to pieces by everything else, and it also relies on that HE spammer ideally being, as I said, something with a 100 mil gun, because if it's uh, gearing or a daring or something like that, they'll just be like, oh, okay, that's nice, um, AP time. <laughs> yeah. It's. I, I. I really hope we get some movement on the the idea, the core idea of this ship. But I suspect it's it's they've, they've decided it's going to have the airstrike, and therefore it's going to be lumbered with the airstrike regardless. So, mm. uh, you know, if you didn't have any other destroyers to worry about, I guess you could just roll around the place and sort of stealth airstrike people. But uh, that's assuming uh, there's no carrier, no radar, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there are such things as carriers <laughs> and other destroyers, so yes. you're going to have that to worry about. And it seems that, at least reading these stats, sadly, they haven't actually included Trump's protection because her, she had a 38mm-1.5-inch you know, belt of armor, as much as you could call that armor, but she, she yeah. had a, some protection, whereas the the stats are giving her just 19mm plating, which makes her just as vulnerable as any other destroyer. Yes. So... We'll see, but mm. I suspect if it comes out like not much changed from that, it's not going to be a popular choice. I mean, they've shown with the Dutch cruisers that they will do the airstrike a lot, even though nobody else does. And this looks like the same thing. They're like, well, okay, it will have bad speed. It will have no smoke, no defense mechanisms. It will have bad guns. It will have bad torps, but it has an airstrike. It also doesn't seem to list any torpedo, um, not torpedo, death charges, so, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that'll be fun as well, unless I'm missing something, but, uh, yeah, I don't think it does. Also, there is a poor starving cat in the background, I don't know if you can yeah. hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no Dutch uh, cruiser has the, the depth charges, so I presume they haven't given depth charges either because that's just a thing. He's not happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean to be honest to be honest, poor old Trump was a bit of an awkward one even in World War Two. Um 
She was designed for the Dutch Navy, which had some very, very specific requirements in its position of, you know, trying to maintain a colonial empire with a very, very, very minor navy that was surrounded by a lot of much, much larger navies. And, uh, yeah. I mean, she survived the war, but she she got very badly beaten up in the early part of it and then ended up basically mostly on convoy duty for the rest of mm -hmm. it. So the fact that she's find, they're struggling to find an exact niche for her in World of Warships is probably the, the one of the more <laughs> historically realistic elements of her. Yeah, they were, they were going for sort of meta-realism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, hopefully that develops into something interesting. Um, I think it's certainly... You know, I, I personally know one Dutch person that plays the game that was uh, a bit disappointed by the Dutch cruisers, but it was at least happy to see Dutch ships in the game. So it'd be nice mm. to see. Uh, even if they just did a conventional destroyer, I think that would be that would make the Dutch fans happy, rather than trying to do something very gimmicky. Because uh, because the cruiser line is 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 by definition very gimmicky. Yes. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe they'll do a conventional destroyer line at some point, but this is certainly not heralding that. No. No, and if it if it was, it's like, well done, you've used up one of one of the very few Dutch destroyer designs. Yes. So yeah, I I think that about takes us to the end. Oh, there was one last thing we were going to mm -hmm. sort of touch on, and that was the Sevastopol. Uh, which is the most recent uh, research bureau ship to be added. Mm -hmm. uh, and I initially, and I've sort of said this at the, 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 before we started, but I initially thought, oh, that that's complete nonsense, completely made up. Um, and then I'd, I'd mentioned that in a video as well and got comments that actually it was kind of the initial idea for, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the, the Kronstadt the, the, the Kronstadt class or whatever project number that was, uh, to give them German 15-inch turrets and that um, it was sort of part of the whole, um, not tech transfer exactly, but, you know, the, the sale of, of arms and tech uh, yeah. between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union before Nazi Germany then, you know, inconveniently decided to invade. Uh, so it sort of ended up with, um, I think the only real sort of uh, relic of that was the, the, the hull of the cruiser Tallinn, which I think never actually got completed, but of course we have it in game as a completed ship. So uh, yeah, I sort of initially looked at it, and went, "That's that's German fifteen-inch turrets. What are they doing on a Soviet ship?" But turns out there's a yeah. little bit more historical basis to it than I thought. Yeah, the 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 Soviets were planning on importing a well, they did import a lot of um, a lot of. Foreign technology for their for their naval vessels. I mean, you've got things like Tashkent, which is basically uh, an Italian super destroyer mm -hmm. with some Russian guns slapped on it, um, built in Italy. So you know, it's not that that they were. And as you said, you've got Tallinn. You've got they, they were buying all sorts of things, and there were plans to um, for them to buy in a whole a whole battleship's worth or more of German fifteen inch guns. Just yeah, never quite worked out because it turns out <laughs> the guns were basically effectively turned on them. Turpit spent a bit of time in the Baltic, but yeah, yeah I suppose that this is, this is your your hypothetical. What if the Germans had actually delivered 
I don't know if, if either of you have played it, but uh, I actually had enough research bureau points to buy it. Didn't realize it was there because I, I was waiting mm. to to buy a, a ship. So I sort of went in, bought the Gibraltar, mm-hmm. which is one of the other research ships, and uh, also probably not terribly historical. But um, yeah, uh, then realized, oh, Sevastopol is there, but it's too late. I'd already bought the Gibraltar. So I made a video on that instead. Yeah. Terribly impressed by it. But Sevastopol, I don't know. Those, I like those German 15-inch guns on other ships. So mm. in theory, I like that armament on that ship, but it sort of depends what the hull is like. Yeah, I haven't played it uh, myself, although you mentioned Gibraltar, I have played that. It did weirdly well in the latest Brawl series. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll have to maybe dig out a video and send it to you if you're interested, but I had this very interesting match where I faced off against a Yamato in my Gibraltar and basically almost almost completely demolished the Yamato from near full health <laughs> um, with I, a massive, massive level of Citadel yeah, I, penetrations. I suppose, I suppose that's where the quicker reload, like it's actually sub 14 seconds and... Mm. Then you've got Goliath, same guns, and it's like, what, yeah. 18 and a half. Just like um, that plus the, the, the smoke. Mm. Um, well, in that yeah. case, it was, it was just coming, coming around some islands and, you know, that kind of brinksmanship of who's going, mm-hmm. to, who's going to shoot into the other guy's bow armor first and who's going to get the better angle. And it turned out that, yeah, the Yamato fired one salvo, dummied down, dummied down the other side and had my guns lined up perfect broadside. So then once I was perfectly 90-degree broadside, just dropped the entire salvo up point-blank range into the side. <laughs> I, to okay. be honest, I was surprised. I was just going, look, thinking, <laughs> well, that, that might might get through the armor, so I'm expected to do a bunch of damage and then sail on past, and instead the amateur just evaporates in a colossal fireball. And I was like, that's, that's a lot of citadels. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you're point-blank range, pretty much. Mm. Um, you the they are, I mean, they are... 9.2 inch guns they are fairly hefty 234 mils so mm. yeah oh well such is such is life oh yeah go on then shoot shoot that replay over to me and i'll uh yeah i'll dig it out <laughs> yeah so um i think that is more or less us unless there's anything else interesting on the portal Take a quick look at that. I don't think there is that. I mean, there's been some miscellaneous news things like the Godzilla plus Kong um, clash back thing again. is back, which I'm sure everyone's noticed if they fight up the client. Um, they're doing another event on HMS Belfast. Yeah. Uh, on uh, Are you coming down for September. that one? Uh, I've, it's the kind of thing where they'd have to like cover expenses at the very uh, least. Yeah, so. fair enough. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd like to. I'd, I've never been on Belfast. I would really like to see Belfast uh, in person. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's always the matter of, well, you know, got to pay from coming down from the Hebrides to yes. do it. Yeah, which is a little bit of a way. Yes. Uh, there was also, um, they've been transferring people from the CIS region to the EU region, uh, which is sort of tied mm-hmm. into wargaming, handing off, various things to Leicester. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, Leicester is now basically running the RU side, including RU servers and all that. And so I guess they're giving people that were playing there the, the option to uh, hop on to the uh, EU region as well, which is interesting. Um, presumably there will be some kind of um, 
account transferal process when the, the split becomes a bit more formal and uh, you won't be able to hop across regions on the client anymore as you can now. Yeah. Uh, so that, that kind of um, not like any dramatic news or anything, but it, it's, it's interesting to see a little more of the shape of how things are going to be splitting um, post uh well, post-Ukraine invasion, really, and all the stuff that, that that's led to, including this split between uh, Leicester and Wargaming. Yeah, so, yeah I'll be interested that goes. Flux of people from from Russia, from the CIS region, or or not. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. Uh, I think there was also some reworked sounds. There's a little video on that in a news article. There's been some stuff in the UI that's... that's yeah, you have more sounds when you click on buttons. And after I played the first time after this patch, it was like every, some, somebody... It felt like somebody locked in and moved every sound slide I had just <laughs> slightly in a random direction. Wargaming yeah. is very good at just breaking your sound settings. Not not that they change the sliders. They just change the internal sound values randomly in a direction just slightly. And not for every sound category differently. Yeah, the other the other thing that broke with the recent patch was um, uh, for some reason the field of view. Uh, I think the field of view slider was a new thing. I think previously you could only change field of view through editing an INI file or something like that, but it defaulted yeah. to a really narrow field of view for some reason. So that 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 baffled me for about a game and thinking, oh, why does this look really different? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, yeah. Field of view slider, that was a thing, wasn't it? Which weirdly they haven't put in the graphics settings. They've put that in the gameplay settings because who knows? So uh yeah, I guess that about wraps us up. So uh uh what what's the what's the latest things on the drag channel that we should be I, I know you did an Italian submarine discussion yep. with uh, a guest that, that was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So what else um... should we be looking out for? Well, coming up later this week, we've got um, a, a a very abbreviated look at Operation Neptune, the naval side of the D-Day landings. Okay. Um, in between preparations for heading off to the Lincoln Steampunk Asylum this coming weekend, um, I'm desperately, desperately, desperately trying to finish a fairly, lo- or at least crudely finish a large-scale model of Sadlitz. Um, so that I can shoot it, <laughs> um, because somebody's asked me to to do a um, like a, a minute by minute chronicle of Sadlitz's journey through the Battle of Jutland. And since yeah, there's not tremendous amounts of documentary evidence for Sadlitz during the battle, just the many photos of her in almost waterlogged condition afterwards, I thought, well, what better what better excuse to get a, a one to three fifty Sadlitz and then shoot it with uh, BB guns to poke holes in it. Um, I just have to establish the penetration of a standard BB versus a polyurethane shell because uh-huh. I don't want to go yeah, through and through because <laughs> that would just be bad yeah. for historical accuracy. So, the, yeah, there's those two. And then um, in September, I think the main highlight of what I have planned will be hopefully one, uh, another video on my US trip, probably looking at USS Salem. That was the first trip we went to. And also a rather interesting discussion on why French and British ships had a distressing habit of self-detonating during the first couple of decades of the 20th century. Uh, yeah. And that's that's with a special guest who 
understands the chemistry of the of the explosives involved um, even even more than I than myself. So that should be fair. I think that's I I really enjoyed. It. I learned a few few interesting bits and pieces myself while doing the interview. So hopefully everyone else will as well. Yeah, that, that does sound interesting. I have to wonder if if uh, the Halifax explosion will. I don't know if that's the right time frame actually, mm. but if that will factor into it. it it's the right time frame but it's it, that's not covered in our discussion because we were looking more at the spontaneous magazine detonations okay. and a little bit at jutland whereas um to be perfectly honest whilst the halifax explosion is massive and powerful and i do plan to do a video on that um the the root cause of it is a somewhat more easily discerned because someone okay. set, managed to set fire to a ship full of explosives yeah, so the I fact it was, that explo- it, I, I was just like remember and if it was like naval ammunition or if it was like it was just generalized explosives yeah generalized explosives and a very 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 stupid ship coming the other way yeah basically hightailing it out of halifax harbor in on the wrong shipping lanes and decided the best thing to do in the when the world be to ram an incoming ship full of high explosives like yeah "Yeah, well done (sighs) which went about as well as anyone could imagine yeah such as life but yeah i do need to do I, well i've got a bunch of information from my trip to canada on that but it's going to take a while to put it together into a into a single coherent video yes. but we shall see uh, and not to bug you too much with ideas mm. but uh that italian video also made me think we haven't but there's not really a lot about uh dutch subs around especially dutch subs in the pacific which no uh, quite active for a while so you know yeah this is just, one of the things a, I sprinkle an idea in your direction. I've wanted to do that specifically, you know, ship a day Helfricht mm-hmm. um, for quite a while. The problem is, as with is the case with a lot of the smaller navies, information in the English language is scattered and sort of few and far between. Uh, most of the literature on 1942 submarine campaigns in the Pacific are basically either stuff talking about the American campaign and desperately lamenting why they couldn't have summarily executed half of the Bureau of Ordnance. Um, <laughs> or, you know, occasional references to the British campaign, which basically amounts to, well, there wasn't much of one because we t- sent all our Pacific-trained T-class subs over to the Mediterranean, where it turned out massive, you know, oceanic fleet subs did terribly in a in, in confined shallow waters. waters. Yeah. yeah, so um, there, there's passing references to what the Dutch would up to but not a huge amount of detail i i'm i suspect that there is a considerably greater amount of detail in dutch which is unfortunately not a language that i speak so um if any of you out there are kind of subscribed to uh both these wonderful people and myself and you happen to speak dutch and you know of any dutch sources on dutch submarine operations in world war ii please get in contact because i'd love to know more about them I know at least one Dutch warships player who I don't know how, uh, you know, if he like reads mm. a lot or anything, but, you know, I'll give him a poke and see if, yeah. see if he'd be, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be good. Cause I mean, I've, I've recently come into possession of a ton of stuff in French, which has been very enlightening because up until now, it's like, if you wanted to learn about French battleships, basically you bought the two John Jordan books. Um, French battleships, World War One, and uh, the, the successor that discusses the Richelieu's and sub designs, but that's basically it. that was basically it for decent modern sources on French battleships in extensive detail. 
And it turns out, well, shockingly enough, in France there are books that size about each individual class. And I can okay. fortun- fortunately remember just enough of my high school French to understand a decent amount of it. Although, irritatingly, the French don't seem to have a habit of actually naming the classes. Um, like there'll be the net, there'll be the name of the ships and the title in somewhere in the title, but the spine is instead of being you know Richelieu class or Corbet or whatever, it's um, Curacier de. I don't know, deset mil tons. It's literally just like battleships of the 17,000 or 21,000 or whatever ton class. And it's just like, okay, I understand maybe why you're doing that. However, that's very inconvenient because now I've got to try and remember which battleship had displaced exactly what <laughs> to make sure I pick up the right mm-hmm. book. Um, I'm thinking of just sticking post-it notes on the spine. <laughs> But yeah, there's a, so there's a fair bit of interesting stuff coming up. But yeah, we'll see. We, we'll order it all comes out in. Well, go go subscribe to Drax's channel if you haven't already, because it's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, obviously, well, I would say su- subscribe to you guys, but presumably if they're watching this, they already <laughs> are. <laughs> if for some reason you aren't, go do that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah, it, it's been great having you again. And you I'm much. sure we will get you back when the next ship lines emerge. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any other reference books that are quite that weighty, so <laughs> my knees will forgive me. You need to find a different book then to to train uh, to train your strength. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Either that or get get one copy so you've got one for each hand so you can get your balanced weightlifting going. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with that useful life advice, we <laughs> all wish you good night. Good night. Bye. Bye.